there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On the last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Quentin and Roger seeked revenge right along the one-armed executioner. We could kill them, but if we do that, what have they learned? <laughs> Welcome to you to Blood City. The idea that Kier Dulea is the alpha dog in this situation. Suggest I, bad casting, but it's not bad casting. He, he rises. He, he rises to the occasion. And set their braille watches for the heist in blind rage. The whole thing is, is a bad dude situation. The plan is mean. These guys <laughs> are fucking crumbs. And now, we bring you The After Show, your backstage pass to exclusive content, answers to your burning questions, and even more film discussion. I'm your neighborhood mail lady, Gala Avery. Yup, you heard that right. Today on The After Show, we've got mail. But before we answer some of your burning questions, on the main episode, Quentin read a review for Blind Rage from Jim Sheldon's Porno Rag Days. On the back of the article was a review of Scanners by William Margold. Quentin, Roger, and I had just watched Rubber Gun, directed by Alan Moyle, which stars Stephen Lack, who is also in Scanners. So, when Roger noticed the review for Scanners, we couldn't help but check it out. Quentin read it to us and also explained to me the letter grade ratings of critics. You got me wondering what the Scanners review, though, is. Hold on a second. Scanners. F. Embassy. Truly a film that gives bad head. Oh. <laughs> Scanners is the latest silly, senseless shocker from a minimally imaginative, prototactical gore auteur named David Cronenberg. <laughs> Following in the featured footsteps of the venereal leeches wow. as they came from within, and the slightly more stylish dare I say, tasteful, hungry armpit of Maryland Chambers and Rabid comes the telepathic terribles known as scanners who can literally blow your mind. 
However, characters flipping their wigs aren't new nausea-inducers. <laughs> Remember John Cassavetes' demise in The Fury? And while Cronenberg and his crafty crew of effects and makeup men do stage some interesting, as in disturbing, set pieces <laughs> and then render those sets into so many pieces, Scanners is a mind-over-matter muddle that barely tingles the scalp. Plot-wise, the film sort of stumbles into Patrick McGowan, not all he seems, sending a dim but dangerous scanner, Stefan Lack, out to challenge a scanner gone bad, Michael Ironside, one of the few reasons for thinking positive, uh, as he <laughs> is totally convincing in his etching of utter and complete evil. <laughs> Along the way, Lack latches on to unjustifiably top-billed Jennifer O'Neill, who also gives bad head when provoked, and as assorted relative revelations come to pass, events and people on the screen start exploding like so much plastic and plasmatic popcorn. <laughs> Admittedly loaded with all sorts of sights and sounds that would upset all four stomachs of even the most contented cows. Now, I'm not suggesting undiscriminating movie audiences are so much cattle. At least I don't think I am suggesting such a thing. Scanners is nevertheless just one big headache. D. <laughs> so is an F plus better or a D better? Well, obviously, D is better yeah. than an F plus. Right? Well, I don't know. Sometimes I remember that one time. I think you were, I forget You might what be review. able to wear an F plus well, with I, a badge of honor. Well, because it has a plus. But I remember you read a review for some. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, what? The the rating is like a D plus? And you're like, oh, that's a loving D plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Okay, William Margo's not coming from the... He, he He's not as specific when it comes to his yeah. uh, minuses and pluses. I think he just does his minuses and pluses to... Punch it. To content, you know, to express uh, uh, enthusiasm or, or disdain. Or disdain. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly well, it. Or ambivalence. Yeah. Where, I mean, with Jim Sheldon, no, I mean, it is, I mean, the difference between a D plus and an F plus, I mean, a D plus is practically a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> that means that, like, it was watchable. All right. That means, I mean, a D, okay, I mean, a D plus is so close to a C minus. And a C minus suggests you can watch it. It suggests you pass. Yeah. Okay. Almost. It's just this side of, yeah, sure, go ahead, watch it. Yeah. Don't pay for it, but yeah, go ahead, watch it. It's just just short of that. So that means it almost could have been that. <laughs> Margold is just like it's fetid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fetid. <laughs> now, let's get into the questions. For our first mailbag segment, five letters were chosen to be featured on the after show. First up, a quick and easy question that came on a postcard. I love these handwritten ones. Uh, like, I just love that it's oh, wow. uh, like, cool. like an actual. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this first one is from Vince from Los Angeles. He says, hey, guys, great first episode. Which label had the worst VHS packaging? Good question. Blackhawk? Uh, because it's just so plain? No, I would say, well, uh, well, plain doesn't necessarily mean yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean, mean bad, because it's clear. The Actually, I, even though I have affection for them now, uh, the worst would be Continental Home Video, because <laughs> they were huge. Yeah. They were huge boxes, but the, the, they seemingly didn't use stills. It was like they took frame grabs. <laughs> 
and then blew them up with really horrible technology <laughs> and then plastered. They made everything that looked the cool movies that they had, something like The Shooting or all these other interesting things. They made them look so shitty. They yeah. look like porno videos. Yeah. Good um, question, by the way. Yeah. That was yeah, a very that good was- question. Our second question spurred memories of movies that may or may not have been seen at the drive-in. Okay, this next one is from Scott from Iowa City. He says, hello, Mr. Tarantino and Mr. Avery. Thanks for taking the time to read this. I'm really digging the podcast so far. Mm -hmm. And I have a question for you guys that has to do with Grindhouse and drive-in cinema. What is your favorite Grindhouse slash drive-in movie? And if you were going to program a double feature of a Grindhouse drive-in films, which two would you choose? This is a question for Quentin. Well, I've done that. Okay. Yeah, I have actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll play fair. And I can't quite say what my favorite Grindhouse movie is. All right. that I just have too many. And I have. Uh, it's, but you know. It, it would change every day, too. It's like. Yeah. Just. But here's how I will answer that, though. I will answer my favorite drive-in movie, and I'll actually just limit it to movies I've only seen at a drive-in. That you've oh, only that you've only seen. I've only seen that. Well, I mean, you know, that yeah. I saw it at a drive-in. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. The most uh, at a Tennessee drive-in, no less. All right. You know, so that's wow, a drive. That's a real drive-in. And actually, okay. So the movie, uh, and I saw a lot of really. I saw a lot of really. I saw. Last House on the Left. I saw Beast of the Yellow Knight at the drive-in. As much as we loved Walking Tall, as much as we loved uh, White Lightning, White Lightning was probably the best movie. But the time that we had the most fun, me and the other Tennessee kids, that we like went to the drive-in. And by the way, when we went, we didn't have a car. We just snuck in and just like sat on the gravel. We were like yeah. like in fifth grade. We just sat on the gravel, all right, and uh, with the speakers by our side. And it was a double feature. And it was George Hamilton's Evil Knievel. Mm, yeah. Which was fantastic with uh, the biker movie Chrome and Hot Leather, also uh, directed by Lee Frost. We had just made a Lee Frost reference earlier in a, another thing for the show we did earlier. And that was really important to me because that starred William Smith. And that turned me on. That was the movie where I learned who William Smith was. And then William Smith literally became my favorite male actor of uh, for like the rest of my childhood <laughs> from from that point on. So I would say that was my favorite drive-in double feature. Uh, and then uh, he asked about uh, a double feature I would program if I was uh, booking for a drive-in. Uh, well, I could do that one. All right, that would be a good one. But I have a very good grindhouse especially drive-in-oriented double feature that works really, really good. Uh, uh, they're a little messed up as far as eras are concerned, but is uh, one is... Uh, a Mason Dixon kind of drive-in kind of movie. I think it was made out of North Carolina called Redneck Miller. That is a lot of fun. It is a really, really, really fun, fun movie. Sounds like that could have been made by that EO Studios guy Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's in not, South though. Carolina. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a very North Carolina production, except the lead guy is a guy, uh, I'm spacing on his name, but he's uh, um, Jeffrey Land, I think is his name. He He's like the co-lead in a couple of Al Adamson movies. But one of the things about that story that Orson Welles movie, The Other Side of the Wind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing that was interesting about that is because of Gary Graver, who was like uh, you know, the Schlockmeister DP, mm-hmm. who was the DP on it, all these like Al Adamson and like grade Z actors that, had, that were in all those kind of low budget threadbare movies from the 70s show up in that movie. <laughs> They're all through it. 
And Redneck Miller, Jeffrey Land, is like, has got a huge part. I think he's like the studio head or something. He's all through the Orson Welles movie. It's like, oh, wow, this is kind of why it's my favorite part about it. It's all the grade Z actors, like constantly all through it. Because like, hey, Orson's getting ready to do it. You're okay. So they'd show up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it would be Redneck Miller and uh, a film that wasn't a canon movie, but released by canon in the early 90s called Crack House, which I love. It's a great name for a movie. Yeah, with uh, Jim Brown, Anthony Gary is in it. It's it's terrific. It's it's what, what Crack House is, it's if true romance had been made in the early, early 90s, but as a complete full-on exploitation movie. It, it sounds like a Donald Goines novel or something. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like <laughs> it. But it's, it, it's the more exploitation-y- house, the it, sequel to Horse Son. It's the more exploitation-y uh, 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 canon version of uh, true romance. Oh, that sounds great. And it is great. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It, it is great. It's that's also one of uh, uh, Jim Brown's best performances. He's scary as fuck in the movie. He's great. Wow. I mean, I saw a lot of movies at the drive-in also growing mm-hmm. up. I mean, for some reason. I didn't see a lot. I had to be taken to a drive-in. I saw a ton, but I mostly saw first-run pictures. Yeah, However, yeah. the do you remember the drive-in that was in Redondo Beach? There was a drive-in theater. Mm-hmm. Um it's no longer a drive-in theater. It's They developed that land long mm-hmm. ago. But there used to be a drive-in theater there, and it was kind of against a hill. And I remember they were playing I Am Curious Yellow. Oh, wow. And we would go down there on the hill because, you know, we weren't going in. We would sit there and watch the movie from – because you could easily watch it just sitting That in. must have been very boring, all right? Because, <laughs> like, there's, like, two sex scenes, and they're not very – they don't yeah, show much. consider yeah, the right. age, like – and uh, well, the age no, that no, we no. were and the time period. I, I, it was I, not I, easy I, to I see stuff that like that. I find that story skeptical because if you actually did, as a bunch of kids, try to watch I Am Curious Yellow, you would have left after five fucking minutes. No, well, we could also hear the movie. You could hear the movie. In Swedish? Well, it's subtitled, and you can kind of hear the... the You're close the, enough to be able to read the subtitles? It's it's a it's political... A theater. I've, if you picked a different I've movie, seen, I would find this, like, more... That, uh, was, that was... Listen, that was the... So sec- you were watching a black and white movie? That was a sex film that was showing at the drive-in. <laughs> that was that's what we. If you hadn't have picked as. that title particular, I would have bought this story. You want more. me to go with "I Am Curious Blue"? <laughs> well, that has that even less play. sex. Sarah. That didn't play. That actually wasn't playing. So, <laughs> okay, I'm unconvinced. Well, that doesn't mean I'm calling you a liar. I'm well, just actually, there's a, wit- there's a there's a living witness. There's a living witness that I can call upon. Oh, okay. It's one of the Our Kirk brothers. And he will back it up that it was I Am Curious Yellow. If he can remember, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a hell of a witness. <laughs> it's 40 years ago. <laughs> 45 years ago. <laughs> uh, Scott- Black and white color. <laughs> Swedish, Danish, who knew? Scott says, P.S. If you're ever in Iowa City, check out Film Scene and its weekly film series, Late Shift at the Grindhouse. The smiley face. Oh, wow. Thank if you're a loyal listener, you'll recall Roger sharing his I Am Curious Yellow story on After Show Episode 3 when we discuss Teenager and 16 at the Drive-In. Next up, a letter from across the pond. <laughs> this next letter comes all the way from Sheltonham, Gloucestershire, United Kingdom, wow. from Leighton. It's just pronounced Gloucester. Is it? I, I probably. <laughs> I, I am always saying things wrong. No, just in England, I just have come to learn that it's always, it's never pronounced the way it's obviously spelled. I can't wait until people on Twitter are telling me exactly how to say it. So. Gloucester. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, Quentin and Roger. 
First of all, I love your movies. A huge fan since watching Reservoir Dogs as a 12-year-old, and I've never looked back at your movies only forward and loved every one of them. Wow. But enough of my kiss-assing. I'm from a small town in South Wales, about a 20-minute drive from where the incredible Richard Burton grew up. As a kid, I spent a lot of time watching films on VHS, and I loved seeing the trailers before the movie started, and I missed that from what they do now. As the years went by, I slowly learned many of these Hollywood greats originating from near my hometown along a 20-mile stretch of road, and these people have been nominated and won Oscars such as Ray Milland, Anthony Hopkins, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Christian Bale, Rachel Roberts, Michael Sheen, and if you ever needed your troops rallying the wonderful Ivor Emmanuel, start of the battle in Zulu, and so many more. Oh, wow. Cool, yeah. Which has made me incredibly proud of where I'm from and looking out for who, quote, makes it next in Hollywood. Well, furthermore, if he goes down the road a little more, he'll find himself in Port Marion, which is the village in Mm -hmm. The Prisoner. Yeah. So my question to you guys is, you're making a movie and you're in the casting process. You have all of the Hollywood greats alive and waiting for your call. So even people that have deceased. Who are you casting as your leading man and lady? Okay. Okay. I'll, uh, uh, um, Anything can happen. You can use anyone. Yes, exactly. Alive or dead. Yeah. You have a time machine. You can pull them out. It's like- Wednesday on the Mickey Mouse show. Yeah. Anything can happen day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so on anything that can happen day, if I were making, say, the bad lieutenant in the middle of the 70s, in like 75, 74, 75, 76, I'd make it with Ralph Meeker. Hmm. Okay. And who plays the uh, Zoe Lund part? Oh, wow. Um, oh, Rainbow Smith. Oh, great. Rainbow Smith. Okay. Absolutely, Rainbow yeah. Smith. Yeah, I'm Absolutely. In. Fucking I'm hell yeah. I see that movie. Shit. Uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I want to I see that movie, man. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. Roger, do you have one? No. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> Moving right along. No, you know what? It would uh, it would probably be like because I had always wanted to just because I love Patrick McGowan, and I mentioned Port Marion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier for me, it would be Patrick McGowan. I'd want to, and he's dead now, and I just love Patrick McGowan. Okay, and, okay, okay. And, so, okay, and so, I would put him with Nastasi Kinski because I love Nastasi Kinski. Okay, so let me ask you a question now. Okay, so would it be? The Patrick McGowan of uh, the prisoner secret agent man time, or would it be the more Wellsian uh, Patrick McGowan of scanners time? Well, I'm going to play it with realism mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have been able to have the young uh, yeah. Patrick McGowan. And so the uh, Wellsian. And so it would be the Wellsian. It would be um, sometime post scanners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably just before um, Braveheart. Yeah, yeah. Which he's amazing in Braveheart. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and actually bless uh, Mel Gibson mm-hmm. for pulling uh, Patrick McGowan out of whatever pub he was in <laughs> <laughs> and putting him into Braveheart because he makes the movie. Like, uh, yeah. he's incredible in that film. And he shows what power he has. Yeah. I also love him in uh, Escape, from, Escape Alcatraz. from Alcatraz just for, because of the role reversal. Yes. And, oh, no, the, the role reversal, yeah. It, it's just so much fun. And so, uh, but I would probably opt for the- We do not make good- citizens in Alcatraz, but we do make good prisoners. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he's doing that, that McGowan delivery. No, he's number two. He finally gets the chance to play number two. Yeah. And I would have just... In this world, there are hammers and there are anvils. Yeah. You must be hammer or anvil. Do must ambos order hammer sign. Now, it's got me thinking, what kind of movie would I cast? Well... 
In the late 1800s, a wealthy woman on a train bound for the West, played by Katherine Hepburn, takes the wrong suitcase on her way to see her extravagantly wealthy, but evil, oligarch husband. Hijinks ensue as the fabulous supporting cast of ragtag bandits chase after her to retrieve it, Hervé Villachez, Brad Dorff, and Garrett Graham. In the end, she falls in love with the Robin Hood-style cowboy gangster that the suitcase belongs to, played by Robert Beltran. Does she choose love with Robert Beltran, or does she go back to her evil husband who crushes the cowboy gang? Oh, and who plays her evil wealthy husband? Tom Cruise, of course. Ah, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. I had so much fun with this question, so thanks for asking it. The fourth question asks Quentin to pick a side, and he knows exactly which one he's on. So this next letter comes from Tim from North Hollywood, and I have to say I love these handwritten letters when mm-hmm. people actually like, tear out a piece yeah, of The only like, people yeah. writing letters anymore are people writing to us or prisoners in prison. <laughs> <laughs> like those. <laughs> Quentin and Roger, love the podcast. Smiley face. Quentin, since we all know you are a fan of both Pauline Kale and Peter Bogdanovich, I've always been curious, what is your take on Kale's Citizen Kane essay criticism, Raising Kane? Mm-hmm. And in that vein, what you thought of Bogdanovich's retort, the Kane mutiny? <laughs> Whose side are you on? Obviously, we know it's good, but more specifically about the making of points they bring up. That's interesting because who said yeah. are you on? Can you be on both? No, I don't think you can be on both. All right. Well, n- at least not as far as where her piece is coming from and where his piece right. is coming from. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm on uh, uh, Pauline Kale's side uh, because also her piece was misinterpreted as a negative about Orson Welles when it wasn't negative about Orson Welles. Her whole theory was okay, they want me to write a piece that would be the introduction of the screenplay of Citizen Kane. So maybe a piece that brought in the author, Herman Mankiewicz, might be applicable <laughs> to that <laughs> scenario. <laughs> and the fact, you know, and, 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 and the thing about it is, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really wonderful film piece because you know, it, it also functions, which she was very good at doing, it also functions as a bit of a short story. She manages to take Herman Mankiewicz and turn him into a Dickensian-like character. Mm-hmm. And he literally comes alive on the page when she writes about him. And so, so she ends up telling a really, you know, really fun, uh, interesting um, Hollywood, uh, uh, Hollywood story and giving her, her anecdotal version of a Hollywood history. But she does the most important thing. She creates a real good character out of Herman Mankiewicz to tell the story. I'm glad somebody did. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Our last question today came from the man that literally wrote the book on Canon Films. Um, This last one comes from Austin from Granby, Connecticut. Mm. Dear Quentin and Roger, 
I know we're not supposed to judge books by their covers. Videos, on the other hand, rarely gave you any choice. The majority of boxes (laughs) never had more than a few sentences worth of descriptions on their backs and usually only a handful of postage stamp size movie stills. I remember making most of my rental selections based on a tape's cover back in the day. There were many video labels that really understood the value of a great piece of cover artwork that, as long as it got people to rent the tape, it didn't matter if the film wasn't as good as its cover or even if the imagery was misleading. Do you recall any movies that drew you in with their incredible cover art but failed to live up to the promise on their sleeves? Or were you ever put off by a movie's atrocious cover design but later discovered that the movie inside was far better than you had anticipated? I would love to hear any examples of what you two think were some of the best and or most egregious VHS covers in the Video Archives collection. All the best, Austin. That's a very yeah, uh, it's a very uh, well written and very good. Uh, and yeah. I just I have to say this: he has written books about canon. Oh yeah, the oh canon wow. guy, okay, yeah. And I so saw I saw the, his canon logo. Yeah, on here's the, his. Uh, I have that book. Oh yeah, on his so, envelope, he's yeah. got, like literally on the envelope. Okay, he's no, got a I, canon I logo. have that book. Yeah. So the book, just for everyone wondering, is the canon film guide, and uh, he Austin Trunick. I'm just going to say his mm-hmm. name because he wrote a book. <laughs> There's so many, but you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to answer it more honestly. I'm trying to answer it. Less as a guy who worked at a video store who knows the entire inventory and more as somebody who went to went to video stores and like, hey, look at this. And like, oh, what the fuck? You know, Well, I I mean, I can give you an example of a movie that we've Uh uh, um, that we've talked about here, which was Lipstick. I don't know that that's a bad cover. But there was something about that cover that prevented me, mm-hmm. and I think I even talked about this mm-hmm. when yeah. we talked about it, that prevented me from really engaging in that movie. There was something- That's a great cover. It's a great cover, and yet there's just something sleazy about the lipstick, how bright red it is, the shape of the lips. It was just something was, I wouldn't say off-putting, but a, bar- a barrier to me watching it, which- now that I've seen the movie yeah. is ridiculous because yeah. everything that was that was repulsing me away now attracts me yeah. to it. Like now that I know the movie, you know, I would say that um, frequently um, and I'm not really so much talking about the classics, but, you know, you look around here and you see a number of tapes and generally it's the catalog titles that yeah, yeah. that fr- where the box art has to incorporate the some kind of catalog branding. Those are generally will have less love put into yeah. them. I was waiting for just something to pop into my head, all right, rather than go through a list. I was trying to wait for just something that like would position itself. All right, like what Roger was talking about, like the Warner Brothers catalog title. So something like like the uh the video for Looker. Sure. Which just it's green Warner a Brothers green Warner video Brothers box, box. And it's just like a screen grab, not even like from a still. It looks like a screen grab of uh, of a uh, Albert Finney and Susan Day talking to each other. Yeah, like just random, a, random. Random. In a small- <laughs> a random frame. Small little box, all right, right in the middle of the green. And and I don't even think it's the Looker logo. I mean, it just is like Looker in the it same white Looker. font. In, all right. in like Times New Roman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And so, uh, not that no, I kind of like that box. So I'm yeah, not, now I love it. Yeah, I think it's the orange box, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Maybe, I think yeah. it's the orange one, uh, slightly orange. And I kind of actually have an appreciation for that box now. But like, but that would give you no indication of the movie Looker that's on the inside with its ray guns and crazy ideas and models crazy ideas and, and models and James Cobert and and fountains and car crashes yeah. and all the. All the the wild bonkersness, fun, crazy Michael Crichton stuff that's in it. Yes, exactly. Future that takes place. Yes, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So okay, so that's a, okay. So that would be an example. Um, you almost could say the same thing about the uh, the green Warner Brothers box for Wolfen. Yeah. All right, which is just a still of uh, which you can is almost uh, pick any Warner Brothers box. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but even the idea that a still of Anth- of Albert Finney suggests more than the screen grab that's in Looker. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, a movie box. But I did like this movie, so it's not like you know. But like, but definitely in my video store days. When I was going, when I was a customer, before I was uh, an employee, uh, a film that I bought due to the title and to the video box was uh, I Spit on Your Grave, the Wizard Home Video. That was definitely one that I bought because of it. And uh, frankly, to tell you the truth, most of my versions of buying something because of a cool exploitation movie with a wild cover, they all worked out. All right, one of my favorites is this one uh, from a, a big, big giant box for a film called White Slave. It's <laughs> also known as Exo- uh, 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 Exotica or something like that. Uh, Amazonia. It's yeah, also Amazonia. known as Amazonia. And remember, they had the White Slave box yeah. at uh, Whammy yeah. when yeah. we were there. And so that's basically, uh, that's a female rape revenge cannibal movie. And- it's amazing. It kills at the end. It's so great. And the box is so... In fact, it took me forever to watch it because it was like, okay, there's no way this movie could live up to this box. And the last 15 minutes, like, like you know, for a revenge movie, it just totally lives up to the box. Oops. Roger gave a spoiler to an upcoming episode. Did you catch it? Thank you, everyone, for all of the questions and fan mail. I had so much fun reading through all of them. As we wrap up our first mailbag section, some viewers have asked me how they can get their questions read on the show. Just as a reminder, we here at Video Archives are old school. We receive all of our viewer questions by snail mail. And yes, we accept mail from all over the world. Want to send a question to Roger Quentin and I? Send it to the Video Archives podcast, Care of Earwolf Media, P.O. Box 66 at 5551 Hollywood Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90028. The exact address written down can be found in several places, including the episode descriptions and our weekly newsletter called Countertalk, which, by the way, you should totally be subscribed to for behind-the-scenes pictures and even more content. Before I close the store today, Quentin and Roger tell us a fun story about the original video archives. I didn't know that Video Archives had popcorn, that you oh, guys yeah. sold popcorn. Every good, no, we didn't. We gave it away. Every, you gave yeah, it away. Okay. Every good mom and pop, you know, like uh, store the, had popcorn. We would they would sell popcorn in those days. It was like that was a thing. You the, the you could buy the cool old popcorn machine. It was usually on a you know like a like a wagon. Yeah, with like a, yeah, two like wheels a, like, in the front. Yeah, it had a gay nineties feel. Yeah, right? exactly. it had a gay nineties. Like it was feel. in Farrell's uh, yeah, ice cream yeah, parlor. It, that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> you know, and we had the the the, the white uh, the red striped white bags. Yeah. And they had a, there was a red circusy uh, Farrell's vibe and to the whole machine. People would come in and they after you know it's like we're giving away free popcorn, but after a while, like you start giving it away, they want it. After a while, they would yeah. come in. Hey, how come the popcorn's not you know going? You'd have to get the popcorn going for people. And after you made a couple of uh, uh, kettles, as two kettles, you took care of it for a while. The whole store smelled like popcorn, and it smelled really good. Yeah, well, it's good until like you know four or five hours later. And well, I like, said for it's the first in your clothes. And I you said for the, I said for the first two hours. <laughs> yeah, and then like, <laughs> okay, then after those two hours, that's when like, it goes all goes to hell. But they uh, the makings of it was, of course, you know, corn, kernels. dried corn, corn kernels, 
And then they had these, well, there was like a powder and uh, like a salt powder that you had to pour into it that was yeah. like this neon orange. Yeah, it was like a butter salt powder that you well, poured and then, in. And then they had a butter cube that was also bright, 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 like, bright orange. Like the hex code would be FF3300. Like I've looked it up. It's uh-huh. uh, it, it's neon but, but orange. It's, but it's interesting though, because the oil and the butter were combined in these uh, uh Sticks, you know, like you know, like the exact size of a, of a stick of butter. The way you were supposed to do is you uh, let it get really good and hot. Yeah, and then you'd pour in the the uh, let, let it get good and burned. If you yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but it was interesting because it's both the oil that the popcorn is cooking in, but it was also the butter flavoring. Yeah. At the same time. And so, like, you know, the stuff that got all the, the orange stuff, you know, that that top layer, all right, was that stuff was really good. It was, it was, and if you were in any way allergic to MSG, you mm-hmm. <laughs> you were having a headache that day. No, but it was interesting, though. It was, it, it was, was deci- delicious, delicious. Popcorn. It was decidedly different, all right, than though, um, uh, than the movie theater, because they move the movie theater always made their popcorn dry and then they added. Yeah, the butter. Yeah, and, and and that was made of different stuff. Yeah, that was made of something different, you know. But uh, um, no, this I, stuff it, it infused the corn. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it became no. The like, popcorn was always you know the popcorn was white with orange. Yeah, <laughs> it was white with like yeah and some very orangey uh, uh, kernels. Yeah, honestly, the story is making me want to eat popcorn right now. <laughs> like I'm wishing that we had a popcorn machine in here. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually. <laughs> If any house should have a popcorn machine, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Yeah, I I think I would go for that too. And that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Video Archives After Show. I really appreciate all the love you guys have shown for these bonus episodes, and I wouldn't be able to bring you this extra content without your support. So thank you guys. Next week, join Quentin and Roger as they discuss three new VHS titles. Want to know ahead of time what we'll be watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. The first movie is about a woman fighting against medical malpractice. The second is a gritty gangster film from a comedy legend. And the third features a Vietnam War project codenamed Operation Razor Teeth. My name is Gala Avery, off to deliver mail to Blood City. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? 
Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 